Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is. Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers in the corporate and events world and we meet the person behind the name. My name's Michael Pope and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, surprise me, who is our next guest? From training European Kentucky guides to guiding the training of global CEOs, our next guest has seen it all, probably because he's instigated it. He believes a tour bus is a petri dish of human behaviour and is the best way to get to know exactly how to work with all different types of people. It allows an understanding of how they behave, think and make the choices they do, both professionally and personally. Today, he's an expert on human behaviour. He has built a professional reputation second to none, acquiring a catalogue of life experiences through his own journey that many people often only dream about. Here to break the age-old code of what happens on tour stays on tour. Our next guest is Mark Carter. Welcome, Mark. Thanks so much. That was fantastic introduction, <laughs> by the way. Can I just take you around with me everywhere I go? Well, we only read it like you wrote it, Mark, so yeah. no problem. Um, listen, before we get into that touchy-feely human behaviour stuff, do you think Contiki still has a list of the people who were on my trip in 89? There was an Italian girl and we've lost contact. Could you kind of get that? Uh, I wouldn't be able to get that. No, I think there's this little thing called privacy laws. Ah, point, I say, but, but then also I think back to those times, I don't know how digitalized, well, I know they weren't fully digitalized back then. So they might have it paper <laughs> somewhere, but maybe not fully digitalized. So what do you mean when Carson says that a tour bus is a Petri dish of human behavior? Yeah, you know, when I, when I moved from the environment of lead, directing tours and developing tour leaders into corporate, I suddenly realized that, that frameworks like DISC, Myers-Briggs, these models that I did, it was like being jacked into the matrix for me because these were frameworks I'd had to understand by leading groups of 50 people in a closed environment. And if you're observant, you start to notice these layers of behavior how people act, how they function. Were you a tour guide on Kentucky or a tour leader and led the guides? So I, I actually started as a rep on site. Then I went out as a tour leader. Then I was the development and training manager, training and developing leaders. That was literally that, that gig. So it's a kind of evolution covering all of that. So you mentioned you were guiding groups of 50 people. In 50 people, do we kind of just fall into, I don't know, half a dozen different groups? Are there sort of the same types of people are in the world? When you work with behavioral tools and when you get to understand all these behavioral profiling tools that are out there, there's no one fix all that puts people into boxes, but they've all got merit. But you absolutely start to see, for me, you start to see patterns of personality and types like the outward going extroverted. So I'll share a story with you. One of the first light bulb moments for me at the end of my first tour, every client fills in a feedback form and about seven or eight people made the same comment, which was something along the lines of Mark's a great guy but he shows favoritism. Oh, now oh. I could have ignored that, but I, I posed the question. I go, okay, I don't show favoritism, but a better question to ask of myself, what am I doing that makes eight people think I am? And then when I reflected on it, I got it. And it's kind of this stuff. Mm. The silent introverted people that are sitting on the travel bays, minding their own business. I was leaving in peace because I didn't want to disrupt mm. their equilibrium. Mm. I would gravitate naturally to the extroverted, loud, gregarious types to have banter and fun with them. Now, it wasn't favoritism. It was just a natural gravitation. 
So those sorts of things you absolutely start to see, but you can't, you know, when you get to the levels of human behavior, there's more complexity, but you can see some obvious signs. Yeah. And on that, I must thank you for the gift basket too. I don't think Carson got one. (laughs) I know you do, uh, you focus and coach on, on bringing people into an organization. So again, take back to those early days. What have you learned about what one should look for when they are recruiting people in terms of types of people? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a common theme you hear a lot of people talking to now, and that is hire for attitude over the skill. There's a functional level of skill you're looking for, sure, but what's their attitude and their general willingness to want to do that thing and hire for that first and foremost, because the skills are usually trainable. So again, like back in Contiki, when we were interviewing them, we would have 1,500 applications to filter down to group interviews to land on 40 people we'd take on a training tour and we'd maybe keep 20 of them. Like, well, the ones that would go on training, we'd keep them, but 20 of them would be guides filtered down. And there wasn't one type of person. It's looking for, there's different ways to be successful. Can this person deliver a great experience being the best version of themselves? When you took on that role, uh, the, the four-year role, where was the training at with Kentucky and what did you bring to the training that um, obviously took it to the next level? Yeah, look, I think, and they, they had a great formula and it's a live training. I, I still say to this day, it's the toughest training environment I've ever worked in. And I didn't realize it because it was my first. Mm. And the reason for that is because you're taking, in some instances, you're taking somebody from Australia that's never been to Europe and you're going to develop them in an eight week period to be a really polished tour leader. And they've got to learn history. They've got to learn geography. They've got to learn where the pubs are. Logistics. Yeah, they've got to learn where the pubs are. They've got to learn the price of beers in every city. They've got to deliver city tours. They've got to learn fiscal and financial management. Back then, it was still all the multiple currencies. I mean, it's and then you've got this other concept of what if problem solving, critical problem solving when things go really bad. So it was an intensive eight-week live training from London to Turkey, back again, mimicking the longest tour we did. And it's literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week, submersed, developing those people to master all of those skills. So super intensive training environment. I think the second part, what did I bring to it? They had great formulas. It was my ability to find creative ways to draw the best out of people to be a better version of themselves. I didn't want them to be like me as a leader. I wanted them to be the best version of them as a leader. So is there something from that training for a Contiki leader that you learned that you've crystallized and developed that you would now train the CEO of, uh, of a major company. Is there, is there some parallels? hundred percent. So I, I talk, there's a, the, the most important talk potentially on your tour when you're a leader is your first day talk. Cause that sets the pace and the energy and the culture of what's going to happen for whatever's coming. And for me, I managed to distill that down to three basic principles, three rules. And those three principles and rules I bring into business. And here's the, the short version Rule number one, if you're late, I'll leave you behind because I'm responsible for 50 people. You're responsible for you. So it's not being rude. Take personal accountability. And it's one that people really resonate with and leaders do too. Rule number two, if you've got a problem, you need to tell me straight away. Don't leave it three weeks. Don't tell me in Amsterdam you're upset with something in Paris because I can't fix it. And I don't even mind if I'm the problem, but talk to me because then I'll explain why we're doing something the way we are or we'll fix it. So this principle of candor, straight shooting conversations, which really lands. And if you read Jack Welsh's book, Winning, the chapter is literally called The Biggest Dirty Little Secret in Business, and it's on the power of candor. Rule number three, 
unless you see me stress, you're not allowed to stress and there's no need to stress because things are going to go wrong and calmness is power. And so when you see me stressing, it's time to worry. And I've learned that calmness is power. So those three principles are ones. And then I share rich stories on those examples, but there's dozens, there's so much content I got, but that's a beautiful example from the training and the, the tours that always lands well. What was the light bulb moment for you from being that training person into now actually yeah. doing what you do? Was there a moment where you go, wow, this is, I get this. This is really interesting. When I went out to actually as my first role in training and development, which is now 27 years ago, here I still am. My boss in Kentucky at the time, Joe, and I credit her in my first book. She called me in between tours in summer because it's really busy. That's rare. She sat me at a lunch. She said, next year, you're going to be my training manager. And at that stage, I'd only been on the road two years, which is not a long time when you're going to prep and develop the next batch of leaders. I said yes, naively and partly ego, because I knew it would be fun. And because we got to play football against the soccer, uh, against the Florentines on that training tour. I remember she leaned <laughs> over the table to me, grabbed my arm like subtly and said, no, Mark, you're going to do this because you belong to people. And this is what you should be doing. And I did the training tour and I loved it. I just love that aspect of development and training. And that led me and I did that role for four years then, which is again, rare, or certainly back then it was. And that just set me on my path. And then you fast forward 27 years later, here I am still in training and development. I think the second light bulb moment that you're referring to, is, it wasn't when I went, oh, I'm going to go and do stage stuff now. It was more when I started doing that to the best of my ability with corporates, people started noticing it. It was key stakeholders and sensors actually at the time. And they moved me from locally in one environment to broader business, uh, departments, to the whole business, to nationwide. And it just sort of evolved because other people saw the impact before I did, and I just went with it. So it was, it was more, I serendipitously discovered my flow, loved it, and stayed in it. As well as the face-to-face, -face, you've also written books, and add value is obviously very key to the Mark Carter story. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I was coaching sales leaders about 17, 18 years ago. And I started asking a question because I was looking to try and draw value out of a manager. And the question I posed was define value for me. And without making them right or wrong, they struggled with the answer. So I started asking that question with every manager. And it really showed this gap in understanding what value was. And it sent me down this rabbit hole. And from that, I built out this framework of defining value, explaining value to be able to build it, regardless of whether you're a leader with your team, whether you're in business selling. And, it, and the reason it was a, a difficult answer, I've, I've discovered it links to human behavior. Because we've got biases and facets of filters, some people are very logical. They might have a preference for return on investment, business value, but they miss the mark with emotional value, that value of storytelling. And so it was creating these five elements of value that now gives people a framework to work with and apply regardless of the situation. So that's why it's, it's to me, it's a central kind of program in my entire academy now, whether it's leadership training, sales training, onboarding, how do we build and add value? And when you started doing this training, Mark, did you look around and see what else, uh, what other people were doing? Because I mean, when you start something new, you would say, well, what else is being offered in the marketplace? Were you fairly unique with this add value and uh, behavior kind of concept? I would say, I don't know about unique, and uh, I'm sure you, both you would realize, I mean, there's so many people talking about every field and values, not a hidden field, but there was a lot of academic and a lot of business modeling about it that I found didn't quite capture it the way I did. And I think what, what I've discovered since certainly doing, because I did the TED talk to go with the book, I did the book, and now I'm doing the production keynote that goes with it, 
It's the way I package it. So I relate five elements of value to five elements that we know in nature. So if I say to you, and I'll do it here, if I say to you three elements, both tell me the fourth together. If I say earth, water, air, what's the next element? Fire. How do you know that? Everybody knows it. Because I've got their album. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But we know these elements and I relate. And what I found was that we, the elements of value are related to these elements. There's tangible value, which is very grounded, like the element of earth. There is emotional value. The universal symbol of emotional states is water. So there's four different ways you tap emotional value. The element of service value is like air because it's done person to person, like an airborne Alexa. The element of relationship value is the warmth in our world. There's a TED talk that really highlights the secrets of fulfilling life as quality relationships. And that's the warmth in our world, hence the relationship and element of fire. And it was Aristotle added the fifth element that he called ether, the ether, the magical fifth element. And if you've seen the movie, the fifth element, you would know the character that Mila Jovovich plays in that was the fifth element. The fifth element is us. We are the fifth element. Our ability to bring all the others to life is what really truly adds value. So this model, it's the creative way I package the model. And and then I anchor it with nursery rhymes because nursery rhymes are a teaching mechanism. So for example, tangible value, I, I always say dollars, percentages, numbers, and time is the tangible value nursery rhyme. But the metrics that matter are yours and not mine. I need to do a better job of understanding the metrics you want to see improved. And that usually lands. So it's the creative way the model's being packaged that is relatable through storytelling, in particular those nursery rhymes. I've got businesses that tell me they, they, those nursery rhyme pockets land and remind them what they've got to hone in on. Nice. I can imagine a room full of people with the T-shirts with your nursery rhymes <clears throat> nicely printed all over them. Let's take us very much to today. What does someone get when they hire Mark Carter in the room? What's, what's your go-to offering? I've got a rich academy. I'd say half my time is split with keynotes, half my time split with deep dive programs to embed learning. So really go and do deeper programs. I think the the keynotes, the starting point is I use that time in lockdown where we're a bit quieter to produce my new signature keynotes. So my new signature keynotes are super different. I don't use slides, no slides, no clickers. Yeah, no slides, no notes, no clickers. I've built them as a cinematic video backdrop and three videos. So we click play, they do the intro, we click play. And now there's this three screen cinematic video with a soundtrack playing and I keep pace to it. So it's this visual submersed storytelling experience that's just on another level. So that's for the signature productions, uniquely different and, and landed beautifully well I'm finding. So I do that keynote on value, on leadership, on culture, on orator, which is presentation skills and potential, which is a choose your own adventure, personal development pathway. And we're currently building the one for sales, but they take time to build. So that's the signature range. And I've got components that I can also bespoke for those. So whilst I've got my, if you want to call it the director's cut, pure form that I know is going to land, I can still bespoke how we're going to position and deliver that piece. Um, And then outside of that, I do your typical range of bespoke keynotes, all of which have got an element of creativity and visual production because it's just my natural style. But they're just not necessarily the end to end version because of the time it takes to to build those. And and then do you offer workshops on top of that? 100 percent. Yeah. So then I'll do deep dive workshops. And I guess the other thing is years ago as well, I custom built my own uh, academy. So I have my own online academy. And so every time I do a keynote, I deliberately unlock modules relevant 
to the content we've delivered because that, the reason I do what I do is, hey, it's great if it's entertaining. It's great if it gets interest. But what I'm really there to do is to provoke action beyond the event. And everything I can do to help that happen is going to happen. So when we do the keynote, you've got this rich learning, submersed learning, and then we'll unlock modules that's going to help you embed it over the coming months. And then we may do a deep dive program um, with the business to, to really make it land. On your website, markcarter.com.au, all of this information you've just shared is actually up there and it's well laid out and it talks about the the five keynotes you've got as well as the fact that you do do bespoke uh, and can tailor because that's a very important part these days for clients. They do want to know that you can actually tailor uh, uh, to their brief and you do give some examples up there. If I was uh, a PCO or a conference organiser coming to you, what would be your message to them in terms of the core learnings that that audiences will take away regardless of the keynote or is it very specific to the keynote that they do there's specific messages and short takeaways for each keynote that are very different but what i would say right now to, to pcos is the three that are landing really holistically beautifully are value leadership and culture because if you really want to encompass how do you drive change and sustainable change in a business those are the themes Think about the environment we just came out of. You can't possibly send your entire workforce to work remotely and then move to a hybrid model and not have it impact your culture. Mm. We weren't used to that. So how do you, you know, so addressing this whole new way of working. So those keynotes are just, I'm finding are the three overarching themes that pretty much most events right now, I'd say 90% of the events I'm landing is addressing culture, leadership, and value. As you know, Mark, this podcast is particularly about meeting the person behind the name, and I think we've done that really well. But I want to, I want to meet the event behind the events. Is there any standout events that uh, you could share with us? Ones that have, that have gone super well. Look, there's a lot recently that when we started. No, no, no. Doing... Ones that have gone super bad. Oh, super <laughs> bad. Yes, super bad. Got it. Right. Yeah, you know what? I love sharing this one. So I, I am C as well. I mean, coming from a background of. Kentucky touring, stitching everything against a piece of cake. So I MC events as well. I remember there was an event. We were they were still building the run sheets for award winners an hour before the event, and we're crossing <laughs> out names and changing names. And of course, I'm on stage. I'm reading the notes, and there's black marks everywhere. Right. And I announced the name, and what I'm moving on, trying to make sense of the script. And then somebody came up behind. I'd moved on to the next award, and we hadn't finished doing the first one. <laughs> You know, and, and and it was a room, funnily enough, it was a room of VAs. And luckily, the, the one of the team came up and said, Mark, we're still in the first award. And I looked down and you just got to roll with it. I'm like, mm, fantastic. Yeah. I'm in the right environment because clearly I'm looking to hire an EA or a PA. I'm taking interviews <laughs> right after this gig and you can roll on, you know. Yeah, that's that's the danger when you're doing so many last minute changes when there's a lot going on it's you know it's called being human isn't it i'm sure <laughs> it is indeed mark i noticed on your website too that um philanthropy is a big part of your world and i thought this might be a, a good way to kind of round out the conversation just tell us a little bit about um uh, yeah the philanthropy you do do and um and why you do it yeah look i i do quite a lot of philanthropic ventures with business collaborators that are supporting specific initiatives, right? So I'm one of those being with universities over right now in Sri Lanka. You know, you see they're going through a very hard time, as you can imagine. There's there's a lot of economic strife over there. Business contacts, I got one to support that. So I'm glad to give time, energy, resources, or whatever I can give to help invest in the development. And so I think there's lots. There isn't one path. I, you know, I know there's people in our world, they've built their own charity cause and do this. I much prefer supporting people that are well set to do that 
and how can I use my gifts to support you? And generally it's development of hard hit areas, development of children, because I believe if we work on kids with tools like emotional intelligence when they're younger, we've got better function in adults when they're older. So I'm glad to invest my time, energy, money, resources to support those causes. Fantastic. Fantastic indeed. Mark, our desire on this podcast is to meet the person behind the name. And I think we've done that. And what I get from you is someone who jumped in the deep end very early on, you know, to be able to hold 50 people together as you go through the Arc de Triomphe and get them all safe home meant that you learned some stuff very early that you've developed and explored and expanded on, found the nuggets in, and now you present on the stage. And again, I haven't seen you on stage yet, but already I can imagine the very immersive and very exciting dynamic presenter you would be. I so look forward to the opportunity to uh, introduce you one day on uh, on the big stage. Thank you so much. It's fun. Thanks for inviting me as well. It's a fun chat. Absolute pleasure, Mark. And if you'd like Mark to come and add value at your next conference or event, please go to his website, markcarter.com.au. Just before we go, Mark, I believe you've got a little gift for us or for some of our listeners anyway. Absolutely. Walking the talk, right? Add value. So what we're going to do is set up a bespoke catalog for your audience. And so you'll share that uh, code. If they input that bespoke code, they can find the Academy just by following the buttons on my website, set up a complimentary profile and just insert that bespoke code in the field. And you'll get a whole catalog of content on the house as a taster for the next 12 months. Fantastic. Thanks again, Mark. And, and thanks again for the Apple iPhone too. Again, uh, I know Carson didn't get one, but uh, I appreciate being your favourite. You've been listening to Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope, with our next guest is. More guests can be found through iTunes or just visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.